Well, good morning. It's good to be here. My name is Joel Lingenfelter. I'm the executive pastor here at LEFC, and uh, it's my joy to be with you again this week. Uh, pastor Tony's back from vacation, so we'll hear from him next week. Um, so if you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and our ushers will get you one. We will make use of that today. Uh, and if you're not so much a paper guy, there's an app called Bible, the Version app. And in that app, you can actually go to events and pull up this morning, and it will have all the verses uh, already chosen for you that we'll use today. So how many of you guys watch football? Some hands in here. Okay, so how many Eagles fans do we have? All right, we got some Eagles fans. How about Ravens fans? Do we have some Ravens fans? You know, we had more when they were winning. Now there aren't as many Ravens fans in the room. How, um, you know, how about, how about Pittsburgh fans? We got some Pittsburgh. Wow, all right. We have Dallas fans. Oh, man, we need to stop and pray right now. Um, that, that's, that's crazy. So no matter who you root for, there's one thing that's pretty much in common anywhere, even Dallas, and that is that when there's a, a touchdown or a field goal, what do you see between the uprights as the ball goes through a sign, right? What's it say? John 3.16, right? You've seen that so many times. It's almost like it's oversaturated, right? Like you see it and you don't even think about it. You just know, oh, that, you don't even have to read it. It's going to say John 3.16. That's what the sign always says. But yet, John 3.16 is an amazing verse. That's why they put the sign up. And let's stop and look at what it actually says. So we'll put it on screen. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved Israel. It doesn't say, for God so loved the Roman Empire. It doesn't say, for God so loved Lydits. It says, for God so loved the world. So how many Greek scholars do we have in the room? We've got a few, maybe. We had a couple in first service. Right now, I'll bet everyone else in this room knows more Greek than you realize. For example, the word translated world is what? Cosmos. I heard a few of you out here either heard it first service or, or no Greek, right? So for God so loved the cosmos, that immediately draws a pretty large picture for us, doesn't it? It's what comes to mind. So what do you think God did? God so loved the world that he, what, painted a picture? No, made a snow globe collection? No, right? He wanted, it was more than just the world, it was the people on it. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son. Now, his love is here for a reason. He loved the people on the world. And the word cosmos is used to remind us that it's not just a group of people, but everybody. That nobody is exclusive, excluded from this love. Jesus was very intentional when he said this. His purpose his reason for coming was the salvation of the whole world. I keep feeling like I should speak into this, so I'm going to move it. There we go. Um, so last week, we saw, we kind of did a 30-minute run through all of human history. That was pretty cool, right? Um, and what did we see? We saw that God's plan, it wasn't spur of the moment, right? It was something that took time, that was developed. It was planned and executed uh, 
And for what God seemed like a short period of time, but for us it was a long period. And a good place to look for God's promise, for God's original plan for the world, is what he did with Abraham. Now, Abraham had climbed to the top of a mountain with his son Isaac, so, who I've always thought has looked at dad a little funny after this event, right? And what does he do? He, he prepares to sacrifice Isaac, and God stops him in a dramatic fashion. He says, no, I wanted to see if you would really do this, but this is not what I have for you. Instead, he says this, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So the Old Testament is going to follow the story of the descendants of Abraham, but God's promise makes it clear that all nations on the earth would be blessed by Abraham's offspring, not just one. Now, how are the nations blessed by his offspring? Because the line of Abraham leads directly to Jesus, right? And it's through Jesus that the entire world is blessed. Now, we can also see God's desire for all to be saved in the book of Psalms. Turn with me to Psalm 96. If you have one of the Bibles we handed out, it's page 415. Now, this psalm may have been written by David, or it may simply be something that David was familiar with, uh, because he quotes most of it in 1 Chronicles. So let's turn to Psalm 96. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. For he... Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in his faithfulness. He will judge the world in righteousness. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. You know, that sounds a lot like what the New Testament calls cosmos. Everyone, everywhere. But the concept that God had a plan of salvation for all of us didn't start in the New Testament. 
It was clearly God's plan from the beginning. This psalm concludes with God judging the world in righteousness and his peoples in faithfulness. Now we know that none of us measure up to God's standard, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's bad news unless there is good news, right? And that is good news. That's why we call the gospel the good news. Because with Jesus, this judgment is no longer something to fear, but rather an act of a faithful God. Now, on the sign they hold up at the football stadium, putting more than John 3.16 gets confusing. If you put a dash and other numbers, it's not going to have quite the same effect. But this is a really great passage of Scripture. So let's go back and look at John 3.16 and a little more. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's good news. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes is not condemned. God loves the whole world and gave his Son for everyone. But there is a problem, and that problem is sin. Because of sin, man stands condemned and is lost. We need to hear about Jesus in order to believe. And the problem is laid bare in the book of Romans, chapter 10. I'm going to put it on screen for you. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? For someone to believe, they first need to hear. And for them to hear, someone has to speak. So if you've ever heard the phrase, preach the gospel always, when necessary, use words, Scripture tells us that words are absolutely necessary to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be a living example of what it means to follow Christ. But it does mean we should always be prepared to speak. Now, here's the thing. If you're sitting here saying, well, Joel, I don't really know exactly how I would share Christ with someone. That's fair. But here's what you can do. Go on our website. There's a thing that says, Sermons Answering Frequently Asked Questions. It's under the message library. When you go to that page, one of the first things there is a message from Pastor Tony that's titled, How to Share the Gospel. Go listen to that. Follow along. Look at the small group questions. And give yourself the confidence to be ready to give an answer when someone asks. In Acts, Jesus lays the responsibility of speaking about him at the feet of the apostles, and by extension, to the church. Now, right before he ascended, and Pastor Nick called this one time the ultimate mic drop, right? Jesus says one last thing, and then he goes up right in front of them to heaven. There's nothing more that he's going to say right here, right now. And it's Acts 1.8. He says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now I want you to notice what he didn't say. Jesus did not say, you know, those of you with a little faith, you guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You guys with a little more faith, you're going to get Judea and Samaria. 
And you guys with a lot of faith, you're going to go to the whole world. Jesus did not say that. These things are all equal. This is not a scale. This is not about superstars and regular players. The church collectively is called to all three or four, depending on your account, at all of these places. Now, if you were here when Dan Hollingsworth, who is one of our missionaries to Spain, he spoke a few weeks back and he asked, which of these applies to us? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the uttermost parts of the earth? Well, obviously, when Jesus said it, we were about as uttermost as you could get, right? But what did Dan say? And he was absolutely right. He said, wherever you are becomes your Jerusalem. So if you live here in Lidditz, Lidditz is your Jerusalem. If you are in Akron or Mannheim or even Lebanon, right? Wherever you live, that is your Jerusalem. Wherever you work, the people that you are around. We are called to be witnesses to Jesus in every context as a church. Now, the first place we're called is where we are. So in your mind, replace the word Jerusalem with Conestoga or New Holland or wherever it is that you live. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this kind of sounds familiar, right? We've talked about this before, the idea that we should be witnesses for Jesus in our context. We've maybe even used a single word, right? Anybody remember? Oikos, right? Our oikos. So if you thought you only knew one Greek word after we talked cosmos, now you're going to know two. And oikos is the Greek word that means household. But in the culture in which this word was used, household wasn't just the people that lived under your roof. It was that close-knit relational community, the people that you spent the most time with. Could be family, could be friends, could be the same vendors that you connect with every day. Um, if, you know, for, for you guys over here, it's your posse, okay? So it's just that group of people you're always with. Maybe posse's out of date now. I'll have to let them give me a newer one, but... So your oikos starts with your family. It starts with your family, with your extended family, your friends, your work relationships, those you go to school with, those your kids go to school with, those you serve in your community with. It's those among whom you do life. For most people, this is about 8 to 15 people, but it could be more, could be less. Now here at LEFC, we say that our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and where we do that is in our oikos. And it's what we do because it's what we've been called to do. Jesus has told us to be witnesses where we live, and these are the people that we have the most credibility with. We all have good news. That good news that Jesus is the answer, and that good news needs to be shared. Now, if God has called you to Jerusalem, then you need to be praying for the people around you. First and foremost. And one way to do that is to start by making a list. Now, out in the lobby of the Welcome Center, we have these cards. They've been there for a long time. They say your oikos. We've been handing them out. Um, this is simply a place to make a list, right? And if you go grab one of these, you'll see at the top kind of gives you some of the places that make up your oikos. If you're married, put your spouse at the top. If you have kids, put your kids next. If you want to put one per line, that's great. You can put them all on one line. It doesn't really matter. And from there, begin thinking through, who are the people in my relational world? Who are the ones that don't know Jesus? Who are the ones that do, that really need me to spend time and pour into their lives? Right? And write them down. And then what this is, is it's a reminder to pray for them. So if you use your Bible every day, which I hope you do, put it in your Bible. 
If it's better off in your car, put it in your car. If whatever, you will see it every day. If you say, Joel, I don't look at paper every day, then put it in your phone. Don't worry about our little piece of paper. It's just a piece of paper. Once you've written them down, then you start by praying for them. You pray for those folks every time you remember. That's really easy, right? Be intentional about being in relationship. And then here's the cool part. Let God do the hard work. God's the one who changes the heart. God's the one who brings people to him and calls us. He gets to do that. And all you got to do is be ready to answer when asked. Be ready to speak so that they may hear. So for Oikos is Jerusalem, what does it mean to be sent to Judea and Samaria? You know, in the book of Acts, God used persecution to spur the church to expand into these areas. Now, for those of us in Lancaster County, persecution currently isn't a major problem. So how do we, do, how do we know if we're called to Judea and Samaria? Well, one of the ways I think God has used is stage of life and also job changes, those kind of things. So just this week, I have an email from someone who's in our church. And if I remember correctly, they've been here as long as we have. They were in the very first membership class that we did. And the email was to let us know they're moving to Virginia for a season and then on to North Carolina as he retires. Now, it's disappointing to lose them. They've been an encouragement to me. Uh, and I'm genuinely grateful they've been part of our church. But on the other hand, I know that God has called them to have a new oikos in North Carolina. They get to go to Judea and Samaria. And I can celebrate that as well as their desire to retire someplace warm. I like the cold, but most of you guys don't. So a few weeks ago, if you were here, we had the privilege of praying to commission Fletch and Meg Matlack as they moved to Utica, New York, which is not someplace warm, right? But they moved there because Fletch was called to be the senior pastor of a church. Now, if you don't know that whole story, if you weren't here, Fletch is a man who began to sense the call of God in his life that he was supposed to do something different than what he was doing. And it wouldn't go away the more he prayed about it. So he came to us, he spent time with Pastor Tony, he spent time with one of our elders, and, and eventually ended up preaching here on the stage. He came to a bunch of our elder meetings to understand how the board operates. And ultimately, all of that work prepared Fletch, and now he's off, I assume, preaching this week in Utica, New York, to the glory of God. Right? It was awesome to watch God prepare he and Meg to do this ministry and to take on this role of serving him in their new Jerusalem of Utica. You know, we had other friends in this church who had a job transfer, and that called them to North Carolina. Now, I don't know what it is about that state, but clearly they need Jesus because God keeps moving all of our people there <laughs> to do good work. Um, <clears throat> now, my point is when the circumstances of life move us on, we have an opportunity to be on mission in a new location. And what do we do once we get to that location? Well, it becomes our Jerusalem as we settle in and God gives us a new oikos. So, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what about the ends of the earth? Well, in Acts 13, 47, it says this, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And in Mark 16, 15, it says, He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And we talked last week about how God orchestrated human history to facilitate the right time and the right place for Jesus to come. 
in the right time and the right place for the gospel to spread. Now, while the church was initially a Jewish entity, God made it very clear to the church that this was not to be limited to Jewish people, but it was for the entire world. So as I was preparing this message, I wondered how had the church spread after the New Testament? After all, the Roman Empire peaks in 120 AD and begins its decline. The answer was surprising, because the Roman Empire, as I said before, were pagans and they were no friend of the church. But yet the gospel spread like wildfire during that time. During the first part of the, the third century, from about 200 to 250 AD, the persecution kind of waned, and the church was able to explode during that time. Then there was a very difficult season of about seven years under Emperor Valerian, and he persecuted the church extensively until the end of his reign, when there, reign, when there was another 50 years or so of peace. But then something happened in 303. Uh, an emperor by the name of Diocletian took the throne, and he was very much anti-church. He destroyed churches. He wiped out anything that he thought was important. So if you've ever wondered, why do we have no original letters, like the original letter to the Philippian church? It's really Diocletian. He went and everything he could find that the church would hold valuable, he had it destroyed. He had those letters burned. He did his best to destroy all of anything he could find about Christianity. He failed, but that was his attempt. And that is part of why so many of our manuscript evidence comes from the Eastern Church and not the Western Church. But after Diocletian was a man named Constantine. Most of you know that name. Constantine became a believer. And he then used the power of the Roman Empire to support the church. He rebuilt some of those churches that Diocletian had burned. He built other churches. Uh, and he made laws that were designed to protect the church. On one hand, that was a great thing. But on the other hand... The lack of persecution also slowed down the missionary fervor of the church. But what about the rest of the world? No, there's one other thing I wanted to say. By 500 AD, the majority of the Roman Empire was Christian. Now think about that. We went from none before Jesus to the majority religion being Christianity by 500 AD. But then the church did, like I said, slow down. But there, the work didn't stop. So let's look at the rest of the map. Now, I apologize, the arrow's still there from last week. Uh, I forgot about it, but we're going to have to do our best to ignore it. And let's take a look at this map, and we'll see that Christianity entered Africa and the Middle East in the first century. That makes sense. That's where it began. And expanded throughout Europe, which was the Roman Empire, and became the dominant religion by 500 AD. Now, if you look to the right, you have that giant yellow patch that is Russia. The Russian Orthodox Church claims the Apostle Andrew brought the gospel to Russia although we have no documentation of this event. But what we do know for sure is that in the ninth century, Greek missionaries brought the gospel to Russia, and they translated some of the Bible into a local language that we now call Old Church Slavonic. I'm guessing they didn't call it Old Church Slavonic. They probably called it the New Awesome language we speak. Um, now, archaeological evidence also tells us the gospel reached China in 635 AD, which is Amazing. And then if you look at Greenland and you wonder, would anybody go there? Some very hardy Norse settlers landed in about 1000 AD and brought the gospel to Greenland. The New World, the date 1492 should ring a bell to you guys, when the gospel first arrived on our continent. And that spread through North and South America. And the last major continent to receive the gospel was Australia in 1788 with the arrival of the British. 
You know, just as the roads created opportunity for the gospel to travel great distances from Jerusalem, the development of ocean sailing allowed the gospel to spread even further. God used that colonial period to bring the gospel to more and more people who had not yet heard. And although the progress has been up and down and and countries have certainly waned and and grown, uh, missionaries have been carrying the gospel throughout the world for a long, long time. You know, it's an interesting word, missionary. It's another thing, like John 3.16, we don't think about a lot. It's just a word that we use. But it really comes from what we call the great commission, and that's Matthew 28. Excuse me. Let's look at Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go make disciples of who? All nations. Right? This is the mission that Jesus gave us. And the people who hold the title missionary are the ones who have made fulfilling this mission their full-time vocation. Now let me be clear. We are all called to make disciples. Missionaries are not the only ones who are supposed to do that. Anyone who is a Christian is supposed to do that. But these are the ones that God has called to fulfill the ends of the earth part of the instruction, being on mission as a profession. So as a body, how are we doing as LEFC? We've been focusing on sharing Christ in our relational worlds, our oikos, for at least five years now we've been talking oikos. And we've heard stories from and we've had baptisms of people whose lives have been changed as the people of God reached out to them and shared the good news of redemption through Jesus. These stories are deeply encouraging. I get to see the fruit of people's Oikos relationships almost every day. But we're just getting started. If you haven't been doing this, hopefully today will be the day you grab one of these cards or you start making a list and you begin praying for the people in your world. You don't have to go anywhere to be on mission. You just have to act. What about Judea and Samaria? Well, we've already heard how God is using LEFC to reach North Carolina for Christ. But what about other places, right? Well, Pastor Tony mentions from time to time that he prays daily for revival. A revival would absolutely, Lord willing, spread throughout the nation and the world. Or maybe it's just a simple act of maintaining friends, friendships with people that you know that have moved or people that you've known in other locations. Continuing to speak truth into their lives when given the opportunity. Sometimes God may call you to do ministry in Judea and Samaria, and we have some folks who've been called to do this. For example, we have some former LAFCers in Florida who serve the kingdom by sharing the gospel with foreign students in order to send them home ready to share the good news in their home countries. We have the joy of mobilizing Fletch and Meg, but that's not our only ministry in New York. We support a pastor of a really tiny church in Blodgett Mills, which is a dot on the map between Binghamton and Syracuse. We support someone locally who serves an organization that provides Bible literature around the world. We support someone who works for Send International as a mobilizer, working to put missionaries on the front lines of spreading the gospel around the world. We support someone who teaches missionary aviation maintenance. We talked about roads and ships, 
But there are places we couldn't get with just those things, and that's where planes come into play. They can get you into locations there's no other way to reach, landing on the worst conditioned fields and beaches and whatever it may be. My dad has flown on those planes a number of times, and I'm very grateful for guys like this that teach people how to maintain them and make sure they stay in the air when they're supposed to be. <clears throat> so that's Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. How's LEFC doing at sending people to the ends of the earth? I think we're doing pretty well. We support missionaries in an amazing litany of places across the globe, and I want to take a minute and tell you about them. We have missionaries in Singapore, and what they do is support the work of other folks that come and go into countries that have not yet received the gospel. We have missionaries in Costa Rica. They live oikos out daily in the context of a foreign country, sharing the gospel and baptizing those around them and new believers. We have missionaries in Spain who are developing church leadership in the fledgling evangelical church. Their goal is to develop strong gospel-centric churches in a country that views religion as an identity, not something to be engaged. We have missionaries in Burkina Faso, a country I didn't know existed until I learned we had missionaries there. Um, and those guys are engaged in their oikos and they're serving to keep uh, gospel-centric ministries afloat in a country of nearly 17 million people. We support missionaries who have leveraged a unique expertise, and I'm being intentionally vague, to facilitate church planting in a Muslim-dominated region of the world where there are 11 unreached people groups who have never heard the gospel. We support missionaries who are pursuing ministry opportunities to bring the gospel to the people of a Muslim region of Tanzania. We support missionaries in, a missionary in Japan who partners with church leaders to teach English and provide other attractional events that will bring people into the church with the goal of reaching them with the gospel. We support missionaries who are working hard to bring the light of the gospel to an extremely dark part of the world. They're part of a decade-plus effort to see the gospel established, and we're praying daily that God will begin to grow the seeds they've planted. We're still a long way from seeing fruit, but they are putting their hand to the plow. We support missionaries who run multiple businesses and do sports outreach in a Muslim area operating under Sharia law. As outsiders to the region, they have incredible favor with the locals and their oikos continues to grow. We support missionaries who are working to bring the gospel to Myanmar by establishing a ministry and planting a church. As a Buddhist country, this family has a long, hard road ahead, but we know God is faithful and the people there need Jesus. We support missionaries in Thailand who serve with Reach Global, the denominational uh, missions arm, and one part of their ministry is working towards the goal of reducing prostitution and ending human trafficking. We support missionaries in Papua New Guinea who serve in a pastoral role for many of the families at the Wycliffe Compound in Ukarumpa. We support missionaries who serve a seminary in Taiwan focused on developing local church leaders in China. We support missionaries in China whose professional skills provide constant oikos opportunities within their community. And there's one other I forgot to mention. We have missionaries in North Carolina. Um, I'm not actually making that up. Uh, in addition to sharing Christ with those around them, they create media for use around the world, including working on allowing the Jesus film to be adapted into each local language. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I find that really exciting. Like, it's just awesome to know what God is doing through our church around the world. And I get to meet with these missionaries and hear how God is using them. And it's just incredible. You know, one thing I've realized is that these people, 
They don't give up all their relationships here and go elsewhere in the world because it seems like fun. Right? I've met people that are in this room that have been in Lancaster County for 10 plus generations. Now, you don't leave something like that. You talk about community and natural relationships. You don't leave that to go be a newcomer in a world where you don't know anybody just because it seems exciting. You do it because God has put a call on your life. They do it because there's nothing else they can be doing. Now maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to this sermon and you feel the Holy Spirit going, yeah, this is you. Maybe you feel that nudge and it scares the living daylights out of you. Well, here's what you do. You pray about it. And if that nudge won't go away, then it's time to start having conversations with people. Maybe it's your small group. Maybe it's a member of our pastoral team. Just begin to say, look, this is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm, I feel like God is, is stirring in my heart. And begin that prayer. And if that stirring, if that nudge doesn't go away, but it just keeps getting stronger, then it's time to find Pastor Nick. Drop him an email. Find him in the hallway. Say, hey, we need to talk. God might be leading me somewhere. Now, here's the thing. It's an awesome process to begin exploring, is this what God has for me? And it doesn't always end up with you going to the field. Some of the most wonderful godly people I know have a longing in their heart to be on the mission field. But God has kept them here with us. They've learned that for them, his call is to their oikos, and their work in missions takes other forms. We have some other folks in this church who found that their call to the ends of the earth is through regular short-term trips, usually repeated visits to the same place, whether it's India, Romania, South Africa. There's a number of things, Ethiopia, a number of things that are happening. There's other families where God just opens one door after another, and it seems like they're on the field like a couple of days, at least to God's couple of days, after they first even thought about going. But whatever path your journey takes, if God is nudging you towards it, it begins with a conversation. LAFC has a great heritage of sending people to the field, and if it feels like God might be calling you, then it's time to, we'd love to have a talk with you. Now for some of us, we know we aren't called. We aren't called to be the ones who go, but we still want to be part of the journey. You know, my wife and I, we have supported missionaries personally, financially, and through prayer our entire marriage. <laughs> sitting right here, the first couple we ever chose to support. They're here from Thailand. I've been praying for you guys for 25 years. And it's just incredible to have them here. And what a blessing. What a blessing we have to be with them. Uh, and just to be part of that work and to continue to trust that God will bring the gospel, will bring salvation to the Thai Lu people. It's amazing. And it is such a joy and we don't have to go anywhere. We get to be here in Pennsylvania. There's still a lot of the world that needs Jesus, and thankfully it's not entirely up to this church. It's a global effort by a global church in obedience to an almighty God. Mark 24, 14 says it this way, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, do you notice the verbs used here? The gospel will be preached. It does not say if the gospel is preached, then the end will come. It says the gospel will be preached, and then the end will come, because God will see to it. So I ask you, do we want to be part of the story or a spectator on the side? 
I want to conclude our time together in Acts by going to the book of Revelation. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 7. This passage is so awesome, I get choked up when I read it. The church is founded in Acts, and in Revelation we see the end of the story, right? We see the end game. This is the event. This is where we want to be. We'll start in verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are mighty, you are holy, you are powerful. And Lord, someday we look forward to standing before your throne with the multitude. From every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that all of us may stand at your feet and worship you. Lord, what an amazing day that will be. What an incredible thought but just an unbelievable opportunity will be to be at your throne with people from the whole world. Lord, we thank you that you love the whole world, that you gave us your son, that you provided the sacrifice to cover our sins. Lord, we thank you for your incredible grace and mercy and love, and we thank you for the church, the church around the world and the way you have used it to reach us and to reach others. May we be faithful to the task you have called us. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned that reaching our Jerusalem begins with prayer. When you walked in this morning, there were tents outside in front of the church. Chances are you were in a hurry. You walked in here, got ready for the service. But those tents are there because we think that it's really critical that we begin by praying for our communities. And so we're asking you to go out there and sign up. Sign up to walk your neighborhood, to stop at each house, pray for the folks inside, pray that God would reach your world. We've had them out there for a few weeks. This is our last week. We really want to get at least 300 families, but I honestly would love all of you to be ready to walk your neighborhood. It's really simple. We'll have a little card, give you basic instructions. If you have a dog and you take it for a walk, why not stop and pray? It'll give them something else to pee on while you're busy, right? <laughs> Begin taking that first step. We're done being on the sidelines. Let's get out and be part of it. Let's do our part to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Because it's good news and God will see it preached. Let's do our part to be those who preach it. Go in peace. It's a glorious week.